You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Welcome. So glad that you're here. Um, I am pumped to get into the text today. And so we are in this series in Ephesians. We're walking through these verses and uh, I'm excited. So how many of you are here originally from the north? Yeah. Wow. You can look around to the hands raised. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Welcome to the sanctuary, um, the place of respite for all of you. Um, I mean, it feels a little tundra-y today, but that's, to you, probably short weather, so that's good. Um, I'm from the north, too, so I'm not just saying that. I'm from New York, grew up in Long Island, moved down here when I was 17. And so my family, growing up, would come down often to Florida. So we would come down sometimes even for a month. We would drive down from New York, uh, three kids in the car that were only five years apart, driving from New York down to Florida. Um, that was fun. And, um, and so we would drive down and stay here for a month. And uh, when I was really, really little, one of my first memories was um, my dad was actually interviewing for jobs here in Florida. And so we had driven down, and he was interviewed for his job because my family was thinking about moving down here. And uh, we got down here, and we were at a hotel. My mom was taking care of my little sister at the time, who was about one. Uh, and then my older sister and I, who were about five and six or so, give or take, she's older than me, so I was about five, um, went to the pool with my dad, who had dressed up uh, for his job interview already. He was wearing a suit. That's how you interview for jobs for real. I mean, now it's just like jeans and a t-shirt. Um, it's like, oh, he must know how to use a computer. Uh, but then it was a full suit, and so he had his full suit on. I mean, in Florida, it was hot. We went out to the pool, and uh, we were there. And so uh, we, I remember getting outside and dipping our toes in the water, and the pool to us was cold. And so we were watching these older boys jump into the pool, uh, and have, they were having a blast. And I remember my sister and I having this conversation about, like, how are they doing that? How are they getting into the water when it feels so cold? And my dad kept saying, just jump in, and, like, you'll get used to it kind of thing. And so we're, like, dipping our feet in, and we weren't sure. Um, growing up, my grandparents had a pool. Um, it was an above-ground pool. That's what they do up in the north. Um, and so it was an above-ground pool, and uh, it was only about four feet. And so at that time, I didn't know how to swim, per se, um, but I knew that I could go in my grandparents' pool, and I was fine. And so we were kind of doing laps around the pool, walking, uh, trying to figure out what was our best trajectory of entry. And um, showing off for my older sister, I decided, you know what? I'm going to prove that, like, I'm a man, and I'm just going to go ahead and jump on in. And so I remember saying, here, this, this is how those boys are doing it, the older boys that I wanted to be like, right? And I just jumped right in, not realizing that I jumped into the deep end. And so I remember my feet hitting the bottom of the pool and looking up and just seeing the, the waves above my head. And I remember pushing off and getting almost up and getting just one gasp of air and then sinking right back down. And the next thing I know is I saw this black object uh, jumping in to save me. Uh, my dad, in his full suit, with his wallet, with everything, jumped in the water after me and, and saved me. I, I, was, I was literally drowning. Um, and, and I remember that. And I remember how hopeless and helpless I felt. Yeah, trauma. I probably need to work it through with some kind of a therapist. Um, maybe haven't dealt with it fully. Um, but, uh, but I remember that. And, and in that moment, being so helpless and hopeless, I needed, I needed in that moment somebody to come and save me. And that's what we get to talk about this morning. That's what each and every one of us experience as we enter into this text. 
the truth this morning that we are exploring is that we were dead in our sin. Dead. But God made us alive. He jumped in and saved us. So open up to Ephesians 1. And we're going to start in verse 3. This is where we were last week. And so I'm just going to read it. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So last week, we were talking about how this passage of Scripture, 3 through 14, that Ed just read, is one thought in the Greek. And the reason why we talk about the Greek is because the Greek is what this original letter was written in and circled around to the churches at that time. They all spoke Greek. And so this was one thought. So even when we read it, we see verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Um, everything in Scripture is God-inspired, God-breathed. We added the verse numbers and the page numbers. And so we begin to separate different verses, and we add punctuation, and we add periods and commas, but that's not how Greek is written. And when you read this in the original text, it is one sentence. It is one long, run-on sentence. Verses 3 all the way to verse 14. It's 202 words. And so, so this is one big thought, and it's all under this banner of blessed be God. That word blessed means praise, glory, magnifying, worship, be his name. And so these aren't just theological truths, doctrinal truths. This is actually a phrase that Paul is writing to the church saying, this is why we worship. This is why you would even get out of bed on a Sunday morning when it's wet and cold and come to a building to sit and open up God's word. Why? To the praise and glory of his name. And then he goes on to say this in verse 4, and this is where we are. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, chosen before the foundation of the world. Now, here's what we need to understand this is a complex theological truth that we are going to jump into today and explore this morning. So why is it so complex and controversial? Well, what we're trying to do in this moment is we're trying to take an infinite, eternal God and understand him in a finite mind. And so in Scripture, what we find are these doctrinal truths that sometimes, as, as humans, we can't necessarily wrap our minds around. These truths that sometimes don't make a whole lot of sense when we try to logic them through. And so we'll never really be able to fully understand all there is to know about God because in our humanity and in our sin, there is something about God that, that we are not going to be able to wrap our arms around because he is infinite. He is sovereign. He is eternal. And we are finite. And we are temporary. And we are just maybe not that smart. <laughs> and so uh, you're like, speak for, for Yeah, I'm not that smart. <laughs> and so, so we have these mysteries that we see in Scripture. But in every major doctrine, theology, study of God that there is, uh, one pastor and author writes that, uh, John MacArthur, he says that there's this apparent paradox. And I love that phrase, an apparent paradox. So he asked these three questions, and I, I want to share them with you because I think it begins to 
set a foundation, maybe some guardrails for us to understand this idea of being chosen before the foundation of the world. Um, so like if you ask the question, who wrote the book of Ephesians? That's what we're in right now. Who wrote it? Was it Paul or the Holy Spirit? And the answer, yes. It's an apparent paradox. 100% Paul, yes. 100% the Holy Spirit, yes. Well, it can't be 200% of something. Exactly. <laughs> an apparent paradox. What about this question? Who lives your Christian life? You or God? If you say you, well, you're taking too much credit. If you say God, you're not taking enough responsibility. It's both. And then, is Jesus God or is he man? Another theological truth that we see in Scripture. Answer, both. 100% man, 100% God. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> God is infinite. He is eternal. He is a being outside of our understanding. Yet he gives us his word to get glimpses, beautiful, beautiful glimpses of who he is and what he has done for us. So predestination, election, selection, those words sometimes make people squirm. <laughs> They've been a debated topic for generations but they're all seen in Scripture. See, if you have a problem with these things, the problem is not with God, it's with you. And that's a harsh reality that we sit in. Because when the Bible uses words like we just heard, predestined, adopted, selected, chosen, like we have to sit in them and say, hey, I don't fully understand all of this, but, God, I'm going to allow you the power of your Holy Spirit through your word to set the foundation for me. I'm not going to read into this. I'm going to let this tell me what it is. And so, I mean, we see this throughout all of Scripture, right? Sometimes I think what we do is we, see, we read a verse. Um, it's like the coffee mug verses that we, you know, that we have, and we put them on our coffee mugs. Um, and they're kind of sometimes taken out of context. Um, well, we can't just take these verses, these couple of, you know, this one whole big sentence out of context. We have to look at it in the whole of Scripture. Because something that's not debated is that God is sovereign. That means he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's everywhere. What we see in Scripture is God is outside of time. And so we see that, that, that God is this infinite, eternal being that is powerful. And um, we see throughout the beginning of, the, of um, Genesis, Genesis 6, we see a man named Noah. And we see that the people were living in sin. And what does God do? He chooses Noah and his family to save them on an ark so that his name could be made great once again because sin infiltrated the human race and, and was destroying everybody. So God chooses Noah. What about Abraham in Genesis 18? So you have Abram and Abraham that God chooses to select a people out of for himself. So at this time, Abram is old. He's in his 80s, 90s, and God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and he has no kids. And so at 90 and 100, him and his wife Sarah have a little boy named Isaac. And God says, out of him, I'm going to make many nations, and I will call them my people. He selects them and chooses them. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and he gives the birthright to the younger son, which is not normal back then, to Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God, turns into Israel. It changes his name to Israel. Israel has 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. They become the chosen people of God. 
So we're seeing this all throughout Scripture. Then you have Moses, right? The chosen people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, are in Egypt. They're under oppression and persecution. They're enslaved. And then he, he has this man be born. His name is Moses. And he chooses Moses to go save his people. So we see this all throughout Scripture. We're watching God protect this people that he calls to himself all the way up to Jesus. And then you see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, spread like wildfire, not just for the Jews, not just for those that are in the 12 tribes of Israel, but for the world, for the Jews and Gentiles alike. And so we have to remember that, that this is seen all throughout Scripture. And in verses 3 through 14, since this is one thought, these are the words that we're going to be exploring over the next seven weeks. Chosen, predestined, adopted. We're going to be looking at God's will and his purpose. We're going to be looking at his plan and his infinite wisdom. And also, we are going to be looking at his unconditional love, his amazing grace. And as soon as we get down to verse 13, we're going to see that it's how we hear the word of God and we believe. So, in our minds, it's hard sometimes to reconcile how all of this works together. But if we get so caught up in what we will never fully comprehend, we will begin to miss the beauty of what God intends for us to understand. Because this is beautiful. This is amazing. That while we were in the water and we couldn't breathe, God jumped in. Amen? So, God's sovereignty, human responsibility... It does not do this in Scripture. There is a beautiful marriage between the two. And so that's what we are about to look at and where this comes in. So let's look at verse 4 together. If you're taking notes, we're talking about chosen to be holy and blameless. So here we go. Even as. So there's certain phrases that we see in Scripture that we want to connect to certain things. So even as is a statement that's connecting what we're about to talk about to verse 3. So this is all under the banner of worshiping God. Our worship comes out of, flows out of, being blessed by God in Christ. So God has given us Jesus Christ, and we are worshiping God because of Jesus. And so even as, so this is a connector to that, he, who's God the Father, chose us. Eklegomai, that's the Greek word. This is what it means. To select out of, that's where we get the word choose, by a highly deliberate choice. So that's what that word means right there in the Greek. By a highly deliberate choice, we are selected out of. So it says, chose us in him. Who's him? Jesus. So God the Father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Try to wrap your minds around that. <laughs> That as when God was hovering over nothingness, Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness. And he was thinking about you. 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 That before, the fa before he said, mountains... <laughs> Before he said oceans, he was thinking Craig. He was thinking Wyatt. He was thinking 
about you. That's the beautiful truth that we're jumping into this morning. And so, before the foundation of the world, an eternal and sovereign God who is outside of time chose us in him. For what? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Man, this is good. Now, can you see why we're spending a whole week on just one verse? (laughs) There's so much goodness in here. Can I pray for us as we jump in? Jesus, man, this truth is so sweet. I'm so thankful that this week I got to sit in this as your son and understand that I am known, that I am seen, that I am loved. And it's your desire, God, that every single person here would know and understand those truths. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So as I'm reading this, three questions come to mind. So me, as I am going through this in my time with the Lord, there are these three questions that come to mind. Why did he choose anyone? That was one question. Who has he chosen? And then why do we need to be chosen? As I'm reading it in my own time with the Lord, these are the questions that God brought into my heart. So here's the first one. Why did he choose anyone? Because here's what we see. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we also see in Romans that the punishment for sin is death. And so there was a moment where God had created this entire garden, everything that Adam and Eve could ever want, ask, or imagine. And inside that garden, there is a section of the garden that God knows will bring Adam and Eve death. And so he says, enjoy all of this. I have given you all of this, but don't come and eat of these two trees because they will bring you death. And so he warns them. He tells them that. He says, don't do that. Don't go near here. Like, this will only bring you death and destruction. But where do they find themselves? Standing in front of these trees thinking that God is withholding something from them. That's what the devil started to do, right? He started to try to convince them, God is withholding something from you. And so they take and eat. God was clear on what the consequence was going to be if they ate of the fruit. Death and destruction. And so when we get into passages like this, we're talking about God's choosing, God's predestination, his election, we start to play the fair card. Well, it's not fair that God would do this and not this. It's not fair. Listen, we cannot play the fair card. God was clear. If you sin, you die. Clear as day. If you sin, there is an eternal separation between God and you. Clear. See, when I'm shepherding and parenting my kids, when they're doing something they shouldn't do, if you're a parent in here, you know this. There is the thing you shouldn't do, and then the consequence if you do it. And a good parent will share, you're not supposed to do this, and if you do this, there will be a consequence. And if the child does it, a good parent will follow through with the consequence, correct? I get some head nods, right? A good parent does not say, if you do this, there's a consequence, and then not follow through with the consequence, correct? Are we all in agreement with that? So, if one of my girls hits another one of my girls, I would say, you are not allowed to hit your sister. If you do that again, you will have no sweets for the rest of the day, and you will have to go to your room. 
And if they look at me and they acknowledge me and turn around and slap their sister as a good and just father, what do I say? Now go to your room. You have no sweets for the rest of the day. But, but I have a birthday party later. Go to your room. You have no sweets for the rest of the day. The consequences were clear. And to shepherd her well, I'm going to... Now, what do they say when they're stomping off? Now, they shouldn't be stomping off. We can address that at another time. However, what do they say? It's not fair. You and I do the same thing. We're just better at it. And so, if we start to play the fair card against God, we're, we're, we're looking at things through the completely wrong lens. It is merciful, and it is gracious, and it is loving that he would allow anyone to be saved from eternal damnation and death. That he would allow that at all. Now, he is a just God, and we're going to get to that, because there had to be a fulfillment of the consequence, but we'll get to that. Because he is loving and gracious and merciful, when I was dead, right, because that was the punishment for my sin, when I was dead, Christ made me alive. When I was drowning, I couldn't save myself. I was at the bottom. I, I couldn't even call for help. If for some reason my heart stopped and I fell on the floor, I could not signal to people where the defibrillator is if we even have one. I couldn't. If I fall down dead, I can't say, hey, somebody please help. No. I need someone, an external savior, to come in and help save me. So who has he chosen? Well, I think this is big because this is a reality check for anyone who would puff out their chest and be like, well, you know, I've done this, 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 and this. I am really special. I was a Sunday school teacher, and I have, you know, a degree from blah, blah, blah. Right? Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. A letter written also by Paul to a church. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Is that going to be up on the screen? For consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Who does God choose? Those who are foolish, weak, low, and despised. That's where you came to church today to hear that if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are weak and foolish and low and despised. He doesn't choose because you're, he knows that you're going to do some amazing things but he chooses you because he loves you, that even when you were foolish, even when you were unwise, even when you were low and despised, Christ saved you. So he chooses those that are broken. He chooses those that are hurting. He chooses those that have addictions. He chooses those that are not perfect 
people. So then why as the church do we try to get together and put on these masks and act like we have it all okay? When Jesus himself says, I have come for the sick. (laughs) I have come for the broken. I have come for the hurting. Can we be the type of church that would just admit that we don't have it all together? And so he chooses those who are foolish and weak and low and despise. But why do we need to be chosen? Well, here's something that we need to understand. God hates sin. He hates it. He wants nothing to do with it. Habakkuk 1.13, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So then, if he hates sin and wants nothing to do with it, how do I get right with him? How do I get right with him? Jesus says, well, I have come not to get rid of the law that condemns you, but to fulfill it. We see that when the, the, he, Jesus is teaching a bunch of people, he says, if you're going to believe that following all the do's and don'ts that we see in Scripture is going to get you into heaven, being a good person, doing the right thing, if that's going to be the thing that's going to get you into heaven, right? If that's what you're banking on, he said, then your righteousness is going to have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were keeping the law to the T, and they were adding laws onto it. They were keeping the laws that God had given us, and they are saying, hey, let's throw a couple extra on there just for good measure, just so we can show how awesome we are. But their hearts were empty. They weren't doing it so that they could love God. They were doing it so that they could prove to everyone else they could do it. And so what's required to be in relationship with God is perfection. To be holy and to be blameless. That's what's required. So how do, we, how do we become chosen? How do we become one of the chosen people of God? We need to be perfect. But we can't do it. God knows that, but he knows the consequence is eternal damnation if we're not perfect. Aren't we in kind of a pickle there? Aren't we in kind of a rough spot to be in a place where like we have no ability to save ourselves, yet what's required to be in relationship with God is perfection and holiness and righteousness and blamelessness. Enter into the rest of the story. Being chosen is our only hope. Here's what I mean by this. So, We have God, all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect God. We have Jesus. And then we have us. And there is this chasm between us and God. You know what that chasm is called? Sin. And this sin has separated us from God. And so it says that we are chosen because we are good people or we are chosen because we've got it all together or we are chosen because we uh, are a certain denomination or we're chosen because we have a certain skin color or we're, you could just keep, keep going with this, right? No, it says we are chosen what? 
What's the words there? In him. So God knows that there's a consequence. And he knows that we can't fulfill the consequence to get back to him. And so that's why he sends Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is even though we were dead in our trespasses in sin, Christ made us alive. He came and lived a life of perfection that you and I could never have accomplished. He lived that perfection. God said to be in relationship with him, you need to be perfect. Jesus did it. And then he says, believe that I have done it for you. That's what he says. Believe that I have done it for you. And if you believe that Jesus has done it for you, what does it say? Nine times in these couple of verses, hundreds of times in the New Testament, what does it say? When we believe that he has done it for us, we are in him. This right here is the good news of the gospel. When you profess faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because God has stirred and awakened something in you, because he has jumped in the pool to save you, because he has gotten the defibrillator out and has shocked you, he has made us alive in Christ so that we can now be fully restored in relationship with God our Father for all of eternity. This is the good news of the gospel. So being chosen in him is good news. This is good news of great joy for all people because there is no spectrum that you have to be on in order to be that. You don't have to be a certain type of person. And I think that this is huge because every time certain people come to church or every time I even talk to people when I'm out of Starbucks or I have a full-time job and when I'm at my job, like when I'm talking to people in the midst of everyday life, they're like, well, you know, Pastor, uh, I, 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 I couldn't even walk into your church because if I walk into your church, it's going to burn down. Or I can't come to church because I'm dealing with some sin stuff in my life. Jesus never said, clean yourself up and then come to me. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not find rest and then come to me. So the good news is that in your brokenness, in your hurt, in your pain, in your suffering, Jesus came for you. And so... The next time the devil tries to entice us in sin, if you're someone who professes faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, see, this, this mentality changes how we live our lives. One, it gives us a security that we know we will spend eternity with God because we are in him, and no one's coming in and getting us out. <laughs> right? The devil can't come in here and get us out. We're done. It's over. It's finished. Right? That's why when Christ died, he didn't say, to be continued by Corey. He said, it is finished. This is the good news. So, if you believe that, the next time the devil tries to entice you with looking at something on your phone, you can say, I have been chosen before the foundation of the world. We have to speak truths to the lies that the devil throws our way.
We have to. You have to speak scripture. What, what does Jesus do when he's being tempted in the wilderness by the devil? What does he speak? Phrases that he heard uh, or was seeing flipping through on Instagram by pastors? No, he was speaking scripture. Hey, let's stop scrolling and start opening this up, all right? Can we do that? So he was speaking scripture. So you have to speak these truths over the devil when you're opening your phone and some pictures are popping up and you're going, you know, you start getting sucked into that vortex and I have been chosen since the foundation. It is finished. I don't need that because I've been made complete. I've been made whole. I've been made holy and blameless before him. And if you're in that, and if you're in that sin, and you're a believer, you don't have to be like, oh, God wants something to do with me right now. Why? Because you are already holy and blameless before him. Because you're in him. Our sin doesn't take us out of this all of a sudden. So, since we are secure, we can begin to speak over this. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to just be inappropriate pictures that, that guys look at on their phones. It could be um, looking as you're scrolling at other, maybe, uh, women that you are jealous of or other people's houses or their stuff or their perfectly posed kids that you're looking at that's causing jealousy and bitterness and anger inside of you. That's what this world has done. It's, it's, it's infiltrated us to make us angry, bitter, mad, jealous. So the next time you can remember, no, I've been chosen by a holy God to be holy and blameless. Next time anger wells up and you're not loving people or giving grace to people, you can speak truth over you and say, no, 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 no. I have been chosen by a holy God and I am secure in him. And so... I can rest in knowing that it is finished. I am in Christ. As the band comes back on up, I want to read these two verses again, verses three and four, and I want us to rest in this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship to his name. Praise be to his name. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him amen let's pray father thank you for this truth thank you for your word God thank you for finishing the work for us because we could not do it ourselves So, Father, I pray that we wouldn't allow these apparent paradoxes that are sometimes too big for us to understand in our finite mind to distract us from the beauty of what it means to be in you, the beauty of what it means to be chosen by a holy God before the foundation of the world, God. And if there's anybody here today who has not placed their full faith and trust in you, I pray right now you would do that work. I pray right now you would stir something inside of them that would cause them to want to know you and love you and be in you for the rest of their lives. God, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your truth. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that are here or those that We'll be tuning in later um, online. And, and so, God, I pray that 
we would enjoy you. And when the devil attacks us throughout the week, that we can go back to this truth, that we have been chosen in him to be holy and blameless before you. Please, Lord, help us rest in that. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.